Welcome to the Universe in a Glass, the podcast where we trade drinks with friends and share the stories behind our favorite beverages. As always, we are joining you from the historic Line Hotel in the heart of Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. We are thrilled to be joined today by Pepe Reventos, the Prince of Penedes. Uh, he represents the 22nd generation of his family working the land uh, in the foothills of the mountains west of Barcelona. Since taking over the family estate in 2001, he has transformed Raventos y Blanc into one of the greatest sparkling wine houses in the world. Uh, in his own words, a lover of nature, animals, and the farm, Pepe strives for excellence in everything he does, a man of great conviction, a fighter, and a dreamer. His everyday life is full of significance because he knows he is working for future generations. Thank you for joining us, Pepe. Thank you very much for such a generous uh, introduction. Yeah, they're, they're your words, too. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you're describing uh, yourself. And I, I love uh, the note about future generations. You have four kids, do you not? Yeah, and now I realize that we had too many, but it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sadly, that, that, ship, that ship has sailed. Um, for those of you joining us for the first time, the premise here is simple. Uh, we each have a bottle of wine to share with one another. Pepe uh, has brought along a bottle of his 2017 Tetchures de Pedra. Uh, you'll have to excuse my uh, very poor Catalan pronunciation. Uh, that is a single vineyard uh, Von Gris um, from rare local Catalan varietals, uh, but made just like champagne. Uh, I have responded in kind with a, a localish sparkling wine uh, from one of our favorite producers out of the Finger Lakes of New York, uh, that being Red Tail Ridge. Uh, the cuvee we're sharing today is called Perpetual Change, and this is the second edition. Uh, we'll taste them both while trading thoughts about life and wine, and then I will close things out. Um, as always, with a bit of verse this time from a famous Catalan poet, um, uh, Juan Marguerite, who actually just passed away uh, uh, last year. Um, if you like the sound of what we are drinking, uh, both of these wines will be available for sale at Reveler's Hour, uh, which is directly across the street from our Line Studios. It is Washington's premier wine and pasta bar. Uh, you can check out both uh, Pepe's wine, the Tetchuras, and uh, Nancy Ireland's Perpetual Change there um, after this show airs. Before we kick things off, Pepe, um, a question or two for you um, about your life before wine. Uh, you come from a very long line of grape growers, a historic grape-growing winemaking family. Uh, do you have a first, you know, kind of formative memory of your life on the vineyard, or were you just kind of always on the vineyard? Mm -hmm. um, I think the first memory uh, related uh, to uh, vineyard is... Uh, um, when we would harvest as, uh, in our early years to, to gain some pocket money. And uh, I never forget, uh, we would wake up really, really early. It was dark in September at that time, before this climate crisis. And I would put um, my sandwich on the end of the line of the, of the, <laughs> of the vineyards. And then the, the tractor came with a, with a, with a truck and, and, and destroyed my sandwich. That's, a, that's a, <laughs> my first memory that I recall, not for the vineyard, but for the sandwich. You know, first is hunger and second, second is thirst. <laughs> <laughs> so very, very primal first memories of life on the vineyard. Uh, did they let you taste the wine um, when you were harvesting? Yeah, we are, we are very, we are very um, flexible with uh, wine tasting, you know, in, in Europe and uh, more in the Mediterranean shores. I think we grow up drinking wine 
And um, I think it's, it's uh, something that has to change in the United States because uh, uh, I just dropped uh, our eldest, um, oldest um, daughter here and she's very, uh, very disappointed that the drinking age is at 21. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, very, a very different culture, um, especially when you grow up with it. Now, was this just kind of like a sad American sandwich with white bread, or was this like more of like a kind of bocadillo kind of? Uh... That's a bocadillo de tortilla. Oh, that sounds delicious. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was worth getting upset about, the sandwich that was run over. Absolutely. Um, now, did you always know that you wanted to be a winemaker coming in of, out of that uh, situation, or did you have, you know, kind of other dreams and you were called back to the family business? Yeah, no, uh, in, in my case, uh, my, my biggest uh, passion is uh, social work. And I always wanted to, to become an international uh, uh, social uh, work committed to, to improve the situation of, of people that are in, in, in less favorite. But I wasn't smart enough to, to be um, accepted by Care USA, amongst other uh, non-for-profit organizations that I remember I applied when I was young. I started working in, in Spain in the um, elderly uh, uh, nursing home uh, uh, business. And uh, in the late 90s, my father was having a very hard time in the winery. So I started, I joined him more for necessity than for any other thing. So you kind of, you kind of fell into it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, I think we, we will all agree that falling in love with wine is, is very easy. So I fell in love with wine. And then I decided that I would, of course, my uh, enology and, and master sommelier uh, studies. Um, to prepare myself, and then did some harvest inter internships that were uh, the most influential uh, part of, of my education. Yeah, you worked for kind of a murderer's row of famous international producers, um, including but not limited to uh, Hubert Lamy um, in Burgundy, Gaston Chiquet in Champagne, and uh, the late great Didier Dagenau mm -hmm. in the Loire Valley. Um, did one of those particular you know, kind of stays make a particularly, you know, significant impression on you? I think you, 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 learn, you learn from everywhere you travel and everywhere you go. And it wouldn't be fair to say that just the most famous ones are more influential. For example, we didn't talk about an internship in 2005 at um, Harald Examer, uh, a German uh, producer oh, in the Nahe Valley. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, that level of precision and that grape selection became something that then we brought back when we were doing that, when we were making the, 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 the Master Serral Cuvée, no? So I think you learn from every, everywhere you go. It is true that the Silex wine has been for me kind of an epiphany uh, in the sense of how Didier was able to, to communicate uh, soil um, over than any other aspect in the wine, in a wine uh, made with Sauvignon Blanc, that it's not an austere grape. You know, we all know it's it's it can be very Bombastic. very yeah very 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 powerful on the on the all the primary notes. No, so um, that would be probably my my biggest game changer. Um, and you know, a lot of limestone, obviously in the Loire Valley, a lot of limestone in Penedith. Um, for a family that hasn't left in 500 years, you know, what do you think has kept your ancestors in Penedith and, and what do you think is so special about it as a winemaking region? I think uh, Penedith is one of the most gifted wine regions in the world um, uh, for two, two big reasons. First one is uh, climatological. Uh, you know that the Mediterranean is the cradle of winemaking and is where it has been developed for, for, for uh, thousands of years. No? Um, now that we are in a time that we are learning that 
I think we're living uh, the most wonderful time in wine, no? And uh, we're, we're like tasting wines, delicious wines from all over the place. We're really moving away from the snobbish aspect of it and, and really uh, focusing in the, in, the, in the agriculture and the making. So when you want to make wine really true to, true to agriculture, I think uh, Mediterranean is king, no? It's where you have limited rainfall, you have poor soils, there is a less, a little treatment needed uh, for, the, for, uh, for the grape growing. And the second one is the pH. So in Penedes, you can harvest at 11 bome at um, extremely low pH. pH measures the strength of the acid. So just to, to put an example, we're harvesting ripe charello at, with a level of acidity of a Chardonnay in Champagne. No? And this is what made that in 1872, uh, my great, 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 great grandfather it's made a lot the of, first... It's a lot of greats. Uh, first uh, Spanish champagne, if you want to call it this way. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for me, that's always what has stood out about sparkling wines from Penedith is they have a, a distinct identity. So for those of you that, you know, are listening and, and aren't as familiar with the sparkling wines of that region, you know, first and foremost, I think the, you know, the elephant in the room for most people is the commercial product, is, is cava. And, you know, your family was involved um, in establishing uh, Candonui, one of the most kind of commercial and, and largest um, sparkling wine houses. And then you went in a very different direction um, uh, in the 1780s for the sake of, you know, reviving, you know, the family estate as a more artisanal uh, production. But um, Cava um, uh, and, you know, by extension, the, you know, kind of elevated, you know, sparkling wines that, that you're producing come from a different set of grapes than champagne typically does. And, you know, the, the situation, the climate is very different. So you talked about, you know, Chardonnay. Typically in, in Champagne, Chardonnay would be harvested very young and um, not essentially fully ripe. You know, it would taste like a green apple. Um, whereas, you know, Chirello is, is a little more like Riesling uh, in the sense that it gets fully ripe. You have a southern Mediterranean situation in, in Penedith where, you know, they have significantly less rainfall and significantly more sun than they do in, in Champagne. But you get these wines that are nonetheless racy um, and lean. And, and you have said, uh, I've read that, you know, your great, 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 you know, grandfather, uh, um, you know, the, the true genius was in taking this methodology that he, he got in Champagne and applying it with the local source material, particularly in, in Charello. Um, you know, what do you think is so special about Chirello as a grape? And then, you know, that recipe, Chirello, Macabeo, and Pareada, which are the, the traditional Troika. Mm. Um, uh, very simple. Chirello is the king. Chirello is a grape that can uh, um, be harvested at uh, full ripening with an extremely uh, um, um, uh, high level of acid. That is what will, will make the wine uh, capable to age. Plus, it's the white grape that concentrates the highest resveratrol in the world. That means that the capacity for aging of Charello, it's incredible. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing white grape that is starting to be known for its quality potential. No? The fact of blending grapes, this is something for everybody to, to be shared. It's always an agricultural uh, aspect. And, you know, then the wine marketers, we, 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 we misled everybody while saying this is this way, this is another. Of course, every grape has, has its own flavor profile. But what's important to know is that if you harvest a certain, if you cultivate a certain surface by having different uh, grapes, you have 
um, different exposure to nature uh, uh, pressure, na nature inclemencies like uh, hail or, or, or too much humidity pressure in flowering that, that cause, uh, co uh, can cause uh, mildew and other fungi, etc. So the idea of working with Chalelo Parellada and Macabeo is an idea to have like an agricultural di diversification uh, policy insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And in Penedith, you know, very mountainous region as well. So I imagine you get different sites that are better suited for different individual varietals. Exactly. Well. For example, Parellada can only be, or is the, is the most suitable for high elevation because it's late bud break, so it, it's less uh, exposed to, to, to frost. And Charello, on the other side, is very early um, bud break, so it's, it's set in the, between us farmers that closer to the ocean at between 200 and 400 meters elevation is where Charello is better grown. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, the, the special thing is that, you know, you're taking this methodology for the sake of, you know, making a sparkling wine with a, a full secondary fermentation in the bottle and producing this product that has this luxurious, you know, texture, this luxurious mousse, but you're applying these amazing local ingredients. And, you know, these wines have a, a separate distinct identity um, that, you know, makes them separate from champagne. You've talked, you know, often about the minerality of, of cava, the saltiness mm. of these wines, occasionally the auster like austerity of these wines. That is different than the fruitiness that sometimes you get with champagne or that, you know, more kind of brioche you know, kind of um, richer, rounder character uh, that, that you get with, with champagne. And, you know, I, I really adore that about these wines. Yeah, it's curious that nowadays the champagnes that are more valued are the grower champagnes uh, made uh, uh, with um, uh, less, I would say, uh, aging and definitely less, uh, less sugar added in, uh, in, in the disgorgement. No? And, and, uh, and uh, in, in, this is something to be shared today, and thank you for, for the opportunity. If you like mineral wine, um, wine, sparkling wine from Penedès is living an incredible moment, and you can try from several houses. It's, uh, there's a salinity touch to the, to the sparklings um, because we were covered by the ocean for 3 million years, so it's all Cameridian uh, soils. The plants are living on, 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 on limestone rock, but full of fossils from 15 million years ago. And in a way, the roots of the vine are able to transmit that salinity to the grapes, thus to the wine, thus to the, to the sparklers, uh, and even a few years later. No? Again, with the, with the aging capability of Chalet. So if you like mineral wine, it's very important that you dedicate uh, time to the sparklers from this region. I think you're going to have an incredible, incredible uh, um, experience. Yeah, and I think, you know, the saltiness makes them gastronomic wines, too. They're just the kinds of things that you want to eat with. And, you know, Catalonia is, is such a place that is just, you know, it is a, a food mecca. You know, you, you can't help but eat there. And you can't help but eat well, no matter what you like. Um, and, you know, I think it's fitting that you know, one of the local specialties for the sake of these sparkling wines is, you know, this dynamic and incredibly food-friendly um, kind of wine. Talking about food, what a dinner we had at the Taylor <laughs> Boat on a, on a Friday night. That was immense. I think I'm still a bit hangover because of the <laughs> immense generosity of Mr. Jensen that he started bringing amazing and great bottles of wine to the table. But what I am really now looking forward is to go to the Revel Hour to uh, drink the wines with a pasta. Eh? I think <laughs> I'll need to come back to DC very soon. I didn't, I didn't put him up to this. Thank you for the, the shameless promotion, uh, Pepe. I really, I really appreciate that. I, I get excited, uh, especially when, when winemakers visit and, you know, I want to share, um, you know, know, what we have. And, and you know, I like, uh, for the sake of tasting, you know, this exchange of, of ideas. The and monkfish was deliciously <laughs> cooked and you know that we in Spain take fish very seriously. I lived five years in New York City working the market and learning from the most sophisticated wine culture I ever encountered. 
Um, uh, I have never eaten such delicious uh, uh, monkfish in America in, in my humble experience. And uh, my daughter had the braised uh, beef, the short, uh, short rib, you say? Yeah, yeah. And sorry for my English, but it was also phenomenal. Among many other things, I don't want to bore you too much <laughs> with my... No, no, I, 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 I hugely appreciate it. And, you know, big ups, of course, to um, our chef, John Seibert, uh, as well for making that all possible. You know, I have, you know, zero, um, I can take zero credit uh, for the sake of the food that goes on, on the plate. I'm just, you know, the, the cork puller, wine pourer. Um, I, I do like that you have this kind of unique relationship with uh, the, the United States, um, especially as a, a European grower? Do you find that you know, people in America um, are more open to your wines than people in Europe? I think people in America are the smartest people I ever encountered and extremely elegant. I think Europe is the world paradise to live, but we need to learn the level of openness and, and, and respect that I learned while, while living here. You see, when I came to live in New York, I was the one that, that always skipped the line, you know, and I learned that you don't skip the line, you make the line like everybody, and that when it snows, you wake up early and you take the snow out of the, of the, of the sidewalk uh, so, so the old lady can go to purchase the, yeah, you in the morning, you know. So, so I have a huge respect for your culture, and, um, and uh, I think it's, it's showing, you know, the level of wines that you can taste in your uh, restaurant, Tail Up Goat, or in, in Man, in, when I spend time in Manhattan or, or Northern Chicago, anywhere. It's, even in Oklahoma City, I take a flight, they never seen a Spanish as Catalan winemaker in their life, and we had amazing uh, food and, and wine. So I think uh, we are living a, a great um, wine moment all, all over, and especially in America. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we, you know, speaking as an American who equally loves, you know, um, European wine culture, I think we have something to learn from each other. You know, I think there is a, a sense of, you know, tradition in, in Europe that sometimes we are, we are missing, you know, and, and a respect for, you know, the sanctity of that tradition. But, you know, by the same token, you know, we are uniquely open uh, to new ideas and new products um, in a way that I think, you know, can be really liberating and refreshing uh, for people that are immersed in cultures where nothing has changed for, for centuries upon centuries. And, you know, I think that's fitting for your sake because you're trying to market something that in the modern era people associate with, you know, more, you know, commercialism, you know, in, in Kava. And, and, you know, you don't call your wines Kava. Um, of course, uh, you have your own designation of origin uh, for these wines beginning in, in, in 2017, or 20, uh, 2012, rather. Um, we are drinking, you know, having talked all um, at length about the specialness of those white varietals, uh, a wine exclusively from uh, red grapes in uh, the Teturas and from one of your highest altitude vineyards. Um, uh, what grapes go into this uh, Van Gris? So... Um we talk about the texturas in a second, Bill, but let me just tell you, we were thinking, we were sharing, I think, a very important conversation uh, regarding uh, openness and, and wine drinking, no? And, and I realize, and the older I grow, that wine is really a um, people unifier, you know? And it's like music. Eh? It's, it connects people from all over the world and, and in a very, in a very pure, pure way. So I think it's, it's really, really fantastic. And, and uh, yeah, I love the way that wine you know, it, this music does the same thing, but it, it creates these strange bedfellows. Hmm. So, you know, this past Monday, uh, in the same seat, a woman from South Africa uh, who is um, uh, named Nisiki Biela, and she's the first um, black South African woman to, you know, be making wine um, in that country post-apartheid. And she grew up in a village where nobody was drinking wine. And, you know, and, and, you know her lived experience couldn't be any more different than ours. 
but you know, we all love the same thing uh, mm. at some level, and there's, I think, a universality uh, to that love that, that's where the, you know, we're celebrating. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Eh? And we go back to the wine, Texturas de Pedra is very simple. This is, uh, called, uh, comes from La Viña Mesa Alta, the highest vineyard in our uh, uh, state uh, in, in, in Northern Penedes. And um, because it's uh, high elevation and uh, all the clay has eroded to the bottom parts of the property, here we decided to plant uh, uh, um, grapes that could uh, ripe better and that could resist to that, uh, I would say, uh, poor organic material type of soil. So anyhow, it's a blend of sumoil and charello vermel with a little bit of bastard negra, but like bastardo nero in Sardinia. Um, I put a little bit of white charello, some vintage, um, to, to, to give it more aging capability, if you will. But most important is this, this, the, the transmission of this vineyard. Texturas da Pedra means stone textures. And it's, if you look at the vineyard, it's like a delta in Chateau of Dupap. You know, it's like stone, like river stone you know, in, all the, in all the surface. No? And I think this is um, what the wines transmit. The wine transmits this idea of, of stone, of minerality, uh, with the characteristics of, of, our, of our region. Yeah, I quite adore the, the, the tension um, of, of this particular wine and, you know, the, the linearity um, of it. And, you know, it feels like something that, you know, initially is, is you know, um, a little, you know, nervy. But uh, with time, you know, in the glass and, and on the palate, you know, kind of relaxes into something, you know, uh, very elegant, very rewarding. Uh, I equally love your website. Um, it's really on point. Uh, you have... All sorts of, and, and I encourage those of you listening to visit, you have all sorts of, you know, really amazing technical information, but also illustrations of the property uh, for the sake of giving people a sense of where the individual, you know, vineyards are. You talked about this one being special um, for the sake of those kind of galette-like mm. river rocks. Um, how are you working the vineyards, um, you know, for the sake of, of farming and viticulture? Um, very simple. We are absolutely committed to recuperate the life of the ancient farm, like I had seen when I was young here in Penedes and also in more um, poor mountainous area in the Pyrenees. Um, we are really seduced by the way of, uh, of uh, recuperating um, plowing with horses. Now we're doing eight hectares and growing by 1.5 hectare this season. So uh, we just brought another, a third workhorse from, from, from the Pyrenees. Um, we have a herd of sheep and goat. We are in, in wildlife projects with, uh, with bird specialists uh, and, and de designing and installing nests in all the forested areas to have all the species of birds that disappeared during the era of confusion of the 70s and the 80s at home, 90s maybe, come back to the farm. So really it's the idea of a fully living farm. Our pigs are grown, chicken, um, create our own compost. So the idea of, the, of biodiversity and recuperating the farm uh, uh, system, I think this is what, what drives us. No? At this same philosophy is applied at a level of soils. So um, the immense, uh, the, the quantity of, 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 the, of biodiversity in the soil is, is huge in any soil in the world. And really maintaining and, and fostering this is, is also what, what drives us. So we are in a movement of what in America you call the uh, uh, regenerative agriculture, mm, uh, less plowing and, and more conservating all the cover crops, uh, sometimes planted, sometimes natural, uh, spontaneous, uh, etc. No? 
the pruning um, in biodynamics, so following all the moon and the planetary forces, a uh, lot of work with our hands in the vineyards uh, during the green harvest, during a pre-harvest, tasting grapes until, until we, we do the harvest. So really, really trying to put this farm alive and bring the protagonism to these plots, I think is uh, the, the essence of our philosophy, trying to summarize and it. You just, you went from New York to now uh, living back in the ancestral family home, uh, are you not? Yeah. So you're, you're a proper farmer again. Yeah, yeah. I think it was it was important. Eh? Um, as I said, uh, I, I joined my father for necessity, and in the 90s we had to sell the family house. So I think the combination of, one, having such a, um, a big history in the back, and second, having seen your father uh, pass difficult economic moments gives you a lot of energy. So first we needed to fix the business. That's why we did a lot of distribution and came to America. But then we could, when we could depend on ourselves, recuperating that tradition, living back in the farm, understanding a little bit more our, 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 our place, no? our, our, our uh, geology, geography, climatology, and, and all that, I think it was necessary. Um, no, but what, I mean, what a fun adventure. How did your kids react to transition from <laughs> Upper East Side to rural, rural Catalonia? Everything in life is so relative, right? I thought I would be giving them a, a gift because uh, I am a nature passionate and a space and, and the quality of life I found there. And on the other side, when my children uh, raised up in public school in Manhattan, arrived to the farm, they say, Daddy, what are we doing living in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> Uh, do they do they live and go to school uh, in uh, Rio Penedes to, to this day, or, or are they in Barcelona? Or we we live in, in in the farm, and we found a school that is a American system inspired with a, with a, actually with a public uh, uh, New York City public uh, school system uh, in a village called San Just Bern, which is between uh, Barcelona and, and, and Penedes. So okay. we have to drive them a little bit in, uh, every day, but that's like the downside of living in, in, uh, in rural areas. A beautiful rural area. Um, now that's, that's, that's so cool. Um, and, you know, I'll equally say, you know, for you know, the sake of that place, it, it appeals to me that you're living back there because I think so much of what you try to do for, you know, this wine is rescue it from this, you know, kind of ubiquitous commercial product that people associate with, you know, a uniform black bottle from a supermarket and make it something that belongs to the vineyard. Make it something that people think of in terms of a distinct local identity. And, and I'm really glad that you shared, shared this one because it's a single vineyard wine, is it, is it not? Exactly, no? and, 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 and Texturas da Pedra is, is one of our single vineyard fancy sparklers. Uh, but I think even our entry levels, uh, they are the, the wines that really are true to the origin. No? And we work everything uh, vintage dated, minimum 18 months on the lease, uh, organic and biodynamic certified, indigenous grapes and such. No? Um, uh, and the result is there. Eh? Um, I don't like to talk too much about our wines. I think the wines need to speak by themselves. But what, if you taste, what you really see is the immense potential for quality in an area that sadly had gravitated in the 70s and 80s towards industrialization. We're too close to Barcelona and uh, we are too close-minded sometimes. So really, this, this, this bringing this American energy, this don't change the, don't hate the players, change the game that I learned while, while I was living here. I think it was, it was very important and, and time will tell, but I think Benedis is living a wonderful revolution moment. Yeah, and, and you were a trailblazer for the sake of 
decertifying and leaving the, the Cava Dio, Cava Dio being you know, the regulatory authority for wines that are labeled Cava in Spain. And uh, it's kind of ironic because your, your grandfather was involved in developing the original Dino, Dio, was he not? Exactly. My grandfather was the first, uh, the, the president of the, the first president of the, the, the Dio, and um, he passed away too young uh, by heart attack, 60 year old. Uh, but his vision always, by making the wines at the Codor New Cellar, was to defend quality and to pay uh, the fruit at a, at a fair price. And um, this vision was a little bit disrupted from other family members and other big producers in the area. Um, so I yeah, think he would much, be too much money. He would be happy to yeah, or not not enough work. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but I think he would be happy to see um, uh, the situation that the other Panades that is arriving to the world today. And you think he would be proud of you for leaving the the deal that he established? I am not sure he would be very <laughs> proud about this, but um, but uh, I'm sure he he would understand. Yeah, he was a man extremely respected in the area for. Um, um, really um, paying the fair price uh, uh, to, to the farmers. And really, today, Raventos y Blanc is leading the, the price that we're paying to the farmers. We overpassed one euro per kilo, this 2022 harvest. It's been in all the local newspapers because some farmers with, with eyes in his tears said, I, I thought I would never see this again in my life. Yeah. Uh, while the big farmers are paying 30 cents, which leads to, to nowhere. No? So, so um, there's another way that is possible. This is inspiring. We're very small, but this is inspiring a lot of producers. And um, there, there, there is, a, yeah, there is a, a really, I think, a really big energy towards uh, making Grand Cru uh, in Penedes. Yeah, and people, people are going about it different ways. So you kind of approached it from this geographical you know, kind of perspective for the sake of carving out this designation of origin for yourself that is, you know, um, Conca de Rui Anoya. Um, did I say that? How's, how's my pronunciation? Yeah, but yeah. your pronunciation is, is much better than my Spanglish. That I, <laughs> no, I, no, 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 I need no. to spend more time in America. Um, uh, but, you know, so you carved out your own geographical designation of origin for your wines. There are other producers that are going about it differently. So, you know, there are, I think it's nine producers at this point that have launched kind of a, a competing brand for premium sparkling wine in Penedes. It's called Corpinat. And, you know, some of my favorite Cava producers are in there. Ricardo makes amazing wine, Gramona makes Jobart. You know, they, they are, you know, part of this kind of splinter cell that is, is trying to market a separate brand. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's just exciting. There are different ways to go about it. You know, but it's exciting to see people want to, you know, push forward with a wine that is, you know, um, essentially wanting to, to rival, wanting to compete with, you know, the greatest sparkling wines in the world. And that's what, you know, these, these wines do at a fraction of, you know, the price of champagne, mm. which is, you know, we're celebrating. Mm. Yeah, it's true that when we are enjoying, I don't know, in the cold and we feel like drinking uh, red wines and, you know, we can choose a beautiful bottle for so from from so many regions no a delicious wine from uh, Crete uh, you show me oh, yeah. uh, uh, the other night to 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 um, Burgundy to uh, Ribera Sacra um, to Sonoma no to say a few examples um, again with white wines it's pretty much the same um, i think it's time for sparkling wines to also offer you know, alternatives to, um, to the domination of Champagne, which is great, but it's not the best part of the world to make sparkling wine. It's just what they have done the best homework, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah and historic, and people just, I mean, I, I love grower Champagne to death, but Champagne is a lie. You know, historically, it was Pinot Noir. You know, um, 
Uh, it, you know, Dom, uh, like Dom, Dom Perignon was hired to prevent the wine from becoming sparkling. Um, you know, it, it is a, a very marginal climate. If you taste champagne base wine, it tastes like, you know, vinegar. You know, Von Claire is just like bracingly uh, acidic. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, historic houses are now just massive luxury brands. They're not even, they're not even wines anymore, which is not to say that there's not great wine to be had there, but there's more to sparkling wine than just champagne. And there's more to sparkling wine than just novelty. You know, these, these are wines that, you know, can transmit a, a sense of place and you can have, you know, really different products for the sake of, you know, you make a wine called Moste Serra, um, which is kind of like your prestige cuvee, which spends 10 years on the leaves, you know, which is just stupidly long. Um, and, you know, couldn't be more different than, than what we're, we're drinking today, but, you know, all under the same umbrella. And so, you know, I hope that, you know, with time, people will rescue sparkling wine from, you know, I, I think they have this, like, they put it in a box. They have this narrow idea of when they should drink it and what it can be. And, and, and I hope that, you know, more and more people will be more and more imaginative about, about how they approach it because, you know, it's just like any other genre. You know, it's just as dynamic and varied and interesting and, and, and equally, you know, it can be made in just as many places. Absolutely. What's important here is to open a lot of bottles of wine from a lot of regions and start to create your own criteria, you know. In this wine world, one of the things that I like that is changing is that there is not uh, so much the person that knows about wine and the, the rest, they just listen and drink, you know. Everybody is starting to create its own uh, um, wine uh, um, idea, wine, wine taste, wine uh, preferences and, and everything, you know. Nobody knows about wine and, and, and some people know to talk a lot about wine, <laughs> but uh, it, what's important is to, I think, enjoy it, enjoy it from a spiritual point of view, if you want. Give uh, time um, to the moment of taste. Um, try to, uh, you know, I have a friend who's an artist and I love, he says, we should always have a pen and paper when we're tasting a wine. Try to write down what the wine is telling us, you know. There is so much behind a bottle of wine. There's the, not just the time, but the, the place, the, 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 the farmer that has been working in the vineyards, the landscape, the nature, the climatology, and, and all this. So, so really, this idea of, 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 of penciling down the ideas that the wine is transmitting to you when you're tasting, I think it's a good, uh, good analogy. Well, and I think it's, it's exciting, too, because you know, there's so much baked in for the sake of the bottle itself, and then there's so much experientially that you bring to it. You know that is unique to the moment that you're opening mm. this mm. bottle, and it will taste differently to us today than you know if we opened it on a different day. Um, did you drink much New York State wine when you were living in New York? Not enough, not enough. But yeah. that I will say, I drink fantastic sparkling wines like the one that you brought today. And I told Michael, my friend Michael Skernig, Michael, I want to make wine. As, and he said, okay, you can make delicious sparkling wine in the Finger Lakes, but if you want to sell it, you have to make it in California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, hope, I hope that's not the case. I mean, um, for the sake of uh, the wine that I brought you, this is from uh, Nancy Ireland. She's a, a really amazing woman. Um, mm. She uh, has a, a PhD from UC Davis. Uh, and she studied under Carol Meredith, who is just one of the premier um, grape geneticists in the world. Um, and uh, Nancy is a force of nature. Uh, she left uh, a very lucrative job with Ian J. Gallo, running their experimental viticultural station to open her own winery in Seneca Lake with her husband. They opened in 2005, and 
Uh, they named the winery after a pair of nesting uh, red-tailed hawks on the property. Uh, this cuvee is called Perpetual Change, and uh, she says it represents her evolution as a winemaker. Uh, Nancy is, is very methodical, very meticulous, and uh, I like the image of her as a sparkling winemaker because, you know, there is a, a certain level of regimentation and, and, and just precision that is needed to make good, good sparkling wine. And uh, this project uh, began in 2018, and uh, the idea is to have a, a non-vintage or a wine that combines multiple vintages uh, that evolves uh, from, from year to year. And so this is the second iteration. Uh, the first version was essentially Blanc de Blanc, composed primarily of Chardonnay, Riesling, um, and Pinots. Uh, this iteration um, is uh, uh, incorporating more red fruit. Um, so this is uh, Zweigelt, which is uh, native Austrian uh, varietal. And you can feel the fruit, excuse me, when you're tasting the wine, it's, the, the, the fruit is coming, is coming to you on a very, very direct uh, uh, way. Excuse for, sorry for the... No, no, that's great. Yeah, feel, feel, free, to, feel free to interrupt. Uh, I, I live to be interrupt. Uh, um, but yeah, the, the, the character fruit in, in, in a wine like this is just, you know, very different uh, than, um, you know, it is in a, a, a Blanc de Blanc and there's a decent amount of Pinot um, in this as well. But uh, Nancy is a huge kind of proponent of sparkling wine um, in the Finger Lakes. It is a marginal climate. You know, something you always need for the sake of effective sparkling wine is acidity. And that's something that they're never short of um, in the Finger Lakes. This is a, kind of a different wine, though. So this only spends um, like uh, eight, nine months on the lees. So there's a, there's a certain freshness. It has a little less of that, you know, richness that you get with extended aging um, on the lees. I'm always kind of curious about that for the sake of a sparkling wine. You have, you know, the um, Tecturas, which, which spends 48 months um, mm -hmm. on, on the lees. Um, or no, sorry, just, just two years for this one, no? No, four years. Uh, four, uh, four years, yeah, yeah, which, which is, you know, um, beyond, um, you know, the requirement for grower champagne. That's a, a long elevage mm -hmm. on the lees, and then, you know, you have another cuvées, 10 years on the lees. How do you strike that balance? How do you, you know, um, you know, kind of weigh that, you know, texture that you get from extended aging on those lees versus maintaining kind of a purity of the fruit for the sake of the wine? Um, wine is a mystery, and... You know, when you want to, in my experience, be too scientific, time tells you that maybe, <laughs> maybe you were wrong. So, I think um, I think time is very important with everything in life. Um, love is time, and uh, what you dedicate time to, and how. I think for wine, one of the most beautiful things that it has is that you can taste time. And then the lees, the lees, it's true that they can enrich the aging, when, especially after the second year, all the, all the cellular walls are, are, are breaking and all the inside, inside of, the, of those yeasts, no? it's mixed with the wine. But on the other side, we have not to forget that the lees are reductive. So they are an, a wonderful protector for 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 uh, uh, for aging because uh, uh, they keep the wine from oxidation, so um, I think this is where you have to find your own balance with understanding what the vineyard is offering you, what the vintage is offering you uh, for 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 the lease for the lease aging. No, so I don't know if I make myself clear, but you know one thing is one wine that you have to live off, and maybe you take it with two years on the lease. But I am. A, a strong uh, defender on aging your wines and, 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 and bringing to the world at the right time and now also of making your own cellars and giving, giving time to your own cellars. Yeah, I love that notion of 
uh, you know, um, waiting for wine and mm -hmm. giving it time to come in, into its own. And I think that's particularly important for the sake of wines that are higher in acid. You know, they, they need time to kind of relax a little bit and to come into their own. And, you know, hopefully, you know, aging on those leaves, aging on, you know, the, the you know, fine yeast, uh, dead yeast remaining in the bottle, it, it gives wine a sense of balance where it might lack it if it didn't have that time to kind of mature and, and come into its own. Exactly. I would say all great wine needs time, more or less, but a little bit. Yeah. Uh, now, you're also making wine under your, your own name. Um, uh, is that, you know, just kind of, you know, like a lot of musicians have side projects. Is that just like a, a fun side project for you to, you know, release B-sides that don't make sense under the Revento C. Blanc label? No, no, it's not. I have uh, kept away all my life in wine, the 20 almost five years now, from side projects. I don't like the notion of a flying winemaker. I think it's um, very important to stay close to your territory. Um, the older I grow, the more I realize I don't know anything and that uh, <laughs> understanding your territory is just an act of living. Um, in the case of uh, Raventos y Blanc, because when we started, we were having difficulties. I started uh, this other uh, steel wine uh, to, to, full, to work full capacity, and then we make some whites and rosé mainly. When we could walk by ourselves, we decided that we needed to find a place for this wine. So I say that the farm called Kansumoy, up in the high mountains of Penedès, found us. It was abandoned, and it was about to be sold for chicken farm, but it was an ancient uh, vineyard and, 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 and cellar. So uh, when the owner knew that we wanted to recuperate that for winemaking, he gave us to us for a very low amount, and we we start we we, we transferred all our still winemaking there. You know? oh, um, so so these are the two projects that I lead in Penedes, and and in the garage of our house, I make my crazy um, or I would say my more uh, big mistakes. And this is what it brings my, my, my name. It's just for, for an investigation uh, way. I am not very intelligent, so I need to practice in order to learn. And then um, this is a, to practice in the garage is perfect because it's a small, it's clean. Uh, I control the temperature. There it's, it's, it's because it's a brand new garage, there is no, no other yeast contaminating. So really the yeast that comes from the, from the skins is, is the protagonist. And I play with volumes of 200 and 500 liters. So oh, that's fun. So that's, yeah, that's where you can learn something, maybe. You also make a couple still wines under Raventos y Blanc label, too, no? Raventos y Blanc, since 2017, that uh, Kansumoy Farm found us, doesn't do any, oh, any okay. still okay. wines. And, and it's called Kansumoy, that is the name of, the, yeah, yeah. of that farmhouse. I love the Shirello. Uh, yeah, those, those are, I mean, and still, like, it, it's exciting. A lot of these grapes that people typically associate with cava, um, you know, you are seeing more local growers work with as still wines. Um, and, and that's really exciting for me, especially for the sake of, of Shirello. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, however, uh, in Penedes, there has been a trend that says the good grape for wine and the not so good for sparkling wine. And this is what we're trying to change with Conca del Ribonoya. And today, Raventos y Blanc is paying the highest price for grapes for sparkling wine, higher above than any other um, uh, winemaking for, for steel wines. So, so um, 
Uh, again, I think uh, it's, it's, it's important to stay true and focus to the potential of sparklers in Northern Penedès. It's unique in the world. Um, that combination, again, no, of fruit, indigenous grapes at the level of, 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 of acidity, like aging capability, and, and also uh, uh, 150 years of history no, of, of uh, sparkling. We're celebrating, this year we're celebrating 150 years of the first sparkling wine in Penedès in eight, uh, 1872. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, and there's a there's also a phylloxera festival too. Is there is there not? You're about to miss that, no? Yeah, this is going to happen in in a couple of weeks, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's unmissable. And it's a great party because we celebrate that uh, we could find a way to overcome phylloxera yeah, and, yeah. and and keep uh, making uh, yeah grapes. Uh, well, and it's a great. <laughs> uh, I had a really good friend that studied abroad in in Barcelona, and uh, he used to send me pictures because there are all these like life size phylloxera lab, like men dressed up in phylloxera outfits, lighting off fireworks and everything like that. It's, uh, yeah, with many bottles of sparkling wine consumed, I imagine, as well. Yeah, but what, what, is, what is beautiful is about the, the local uh, festivities and celebrations is that they put people together, you know, and they create a lot of community. And, and um, this is, it's beautiful in the summer in Penedes. Every, every weekend there is a village with a local celebration. So you can really like, you know, go from one village to another, the village show, you know, what, what they have to, to share, the lo small local things from that village, different from another one. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, this is, this is very important. And, and uh, again, you know, the small things and the, the local things, and, and, and there are more and more to discover if you live fully present and, and in attention into where you are, um, is what makes things of interest in the world. Instead of when I was growing up, that I would, was taught that I had to put the labels uh, of my wines in English. <laughs> um, people always ask, want to know for the sake of these wines, you know, what are your favorite pairings. Um, I, I struggle with that question sometimes because uh, I find that I just like to live in the mystery of it all. You know, I just like to open a bottle and see, see what it goes with. Um, you know, do you have any, you know, per per particular memorable moments, you know, drinking this wine in particular to us with like a dish that just really kind of set it off or just really worked? I think, uh, Bill, if I can be honest, honest with you, I think the pairing times are over. I think the future for wine is really pay attention to the wine um, um, from a full perspective eh? for all your senses all your all your you really you know not so much from a mental perspective but from all your full energy you know and and the pairing distracts us too much you know it gives us like it's it's too too, too mental and it's too complicated and it's too you know it's too it's too uh, human, and we need to be more animal. So, so, so I think uh, you know the, the 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 only pairing that makes sense is the company, the people you are with, and 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 the moment in in you are. So, the, my 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 humble memories of best bottles are always related to to where I am and with who I am, rather to what I am drinking with, eating with. You know, I like that. So, um, you know, the pairing for the sake of food is less important than the pairing for the sake of you know, the moment and the people that you're enjoying the wine with. Um, all right, so a bit of verse uh, to close things out for you, sir. This is um, from a Catalan poet named uh, Jean uh, Marguerite. He um, wrote in both uh, Castilian Spanish and um, in Catalan uh, later in his career. He just passed away yesterday. Um, this is called Love is a Place. From my seat on the train, I gaze at the landscape, and suddenly, fleetingly, a vineyard goes by which is the lightning flash of some truth. 
It would be a mistake to alight from the train because then the vineyard would vanish. Love is a place, and there is always something that reveals it to me. A distant field, a conductor's empty stand with only a rose on it, and the musicians playing on their own. Your room as day was breaking, and of course, the singing of those birds in the cemetery one morning in June. Love is a place. It endures beyond everything. From there we come, and it's a place where life remains. Thank you for joining us. Pepe Reventos, um, uh, one, one final question for you. Uh, having, you know, uh, kind of come, I feel like you've kind of come full circle. You know, you um, had your international venture, you, you know, heroically revived the, the family uh, brand. Um, you know, you're taking your oldest off to college now. You know, what, what is next? You know, what is, you know, is your hope that, you know, the 23rd generation ultimately takes over the domain and, you know, uh, you sail off into the sunset? Or uh, what do you hope for um, the future of Reventos y Blanc? I think uh, what's, um, what can be positive about raising too many children is that at least one of the four will enjoy uh, the, wine, uh, the wine business and will want to continue. <laughs> but what's important is that you, you do what you love, no matter if it's wine, if it's a restaurant, if it's uh, finance or uh, whatever, music, any, any kind of, you do what you love, then your life makes a lot of uh, sense. Or social work for that matter. And exactly. uh, yeah, no, I, I do love about wine too that, uh, you know, it involves and brings together a lot of people that have multiple careers. You know, you start your life one way and then you, you circle back. And you know, it allows you to engage different disciplines and different arts and you're just kind of always circling back. Well, this, 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 this poem of Joan Margarit was really, really uh, fantastic. Eh? Senor Jensen, you're a rock star. <laughs> I, I, thought, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't write the poem, uh, but uh, I, I appreciate that, sir. Um, thank you all uh, for uh, listening. Um, Pepe, are you on? So if, if you haven't, if you have the opportunity, please check out uh, the Reventos uh, website. Uh, it is amazing, the depth of information available. Um, yeah, uh, it's obscenely well written, um, and and while we're checking, you you have social media too, no? Yes. Uh, so uh, I try to make the wine and 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 travel the world to sell it, but I am very fortunate to have a partner, Susanna, my wife, that runs all the all the our humble marketing, and she does an amazing job at social media. So I strongly encourage you to um, uh, to uh, yeah look at our Instagram. Uh, Raventos y Blanc, and uh, yeah, and I think she's doing an amazing job transmitting uh, what's behind the bottle. Uh, we have Instagram as well. We are at Universe in the Glass. And uh, as a word of reminder, if you want to enjoy the bottles we were drinking and describing today, uh, you can check them out. You can purchase them at Revelers Hour just across the street from our line studios. Uh, stay thirsty and stay tuned for more The Universe in a Glass.